The text for the sermon is taken from the gospel. And when our Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said unto her, Weep not. And he came and touched the bier, and they that bare him stood still. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. This is the first of four accounts of the resuscitation of a dead person uh, that Luke has preserved. Uh, two in his gospel, and then two in the Acts of the Apostle. It's worth recalling that Luke made the point up front uh, in the preface of the gospel uh, that he was not an eyewitness uh, to these events but that he had diligently followed the best practices of the historiographers of his day uh, in order to present a verified, organized account of all that Jesus uh, said and did up to and including his resurrection from the dead. This is the way he put it in Acts, I mean in the, uh, uh, in the gospel. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to complete a narrative of things which have been accomplished among us just as they were delivered to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely uh, for some time past, to write an orderly account. And so he did. As you can see, uh, the important principle of historiography in his day, and it's a pretty important principle today as well, is the word of the eyewitness. Uh, Luke's stated intention was to write an orderly account of the accomplishments of Jesus Christ, an account that would answer the question, who is he, uh, what did he do, and what does he want for us and from us? Luke locked in uh, to uh, the narratives uh, and the reports of the eyewitnesses, and he goes to the core of just those questions in both gospel and in the Acts. Uh, he did the same, as I said, in gathering for the second. You can look at this as a two-volume history, the Gospel and then, and then the Acts of the Apostle. Did the same thing with that, albeit a chunk of Acts uh, is Luke's uh, own first-person account of, of Paul's ministry. The point that I want you to take away is that Luke consciously, intelligently, intentionally, intentionally studiously selected four accounts of resuscitations from all of the material that he had to include in this two-volume history that we call the Gospel of Luke and the Acts of the Apostles. Okay? Y'all with me? You are? Okay. Immediately following this first account that we have, we have the disciples of John the Baptist coming to Jesus on John's behalf uh, inquiring about his ministry because John was about to be executed by Herod. And he, he, and he wanted to, you know, he was wondering, well, the kingdom of God hasn't come yet. Uh, and I thought it would. Uh, and I thought it would be this man. And so he goes and he asks, has his, apostle, his, his followers to ask Jesus some questions regarding Jesus' ministry. When our Lord answered those questions, he did so by alluding to the fact that the dead are being raised referring back to what had just happened with the widow's son. The next resuscitation in this gospel was the raising of Jairus' daughter. And in Acts, Luke preserves two accounts 
One by the apostle uh, Peter and another by Paul raising a dead person to life. Luke's account in Acts uh, is his, his point in the Acts uh, is that these men who are apostles uh, are, are apostles because of the authority of Jesus. And they are repeating the sort of thing that Jesus did uh, that approves and establishes their authority. In the first account, Peter raises the, uh, uh, from the dead a Christian woman named Tabitha. In the second account, Paul raises a young man from the dead. Uh, the, this account of Paul raising uh, a person is in the first person because Luke was there. Now, Luke was an eyewitness of that event. He was in the crowd. Uh, he and Paul and others had traveled to Troas uh, on a mission, and they were there for about a week. Uh, on Sunday... The day before they left, they all came together in the church for the Eucharist, and Paul preached a long sermon. In fact, uh, Luke says he preached until midnight. So count your blessings. Okay? Well, actually, the fact is they didn't go in all likelihood Sunday morning. It was probably in Sunday. It was Sunday afternoon, uh, probably after sundown, uh, when they gathered, uh, because Sunday was for the Romans and for the Jews just a work day. Uh, so they, were, they were meeting and Luke is look, look at the details he's very specific they were meeting in an upper room three flights up a room that Luke recalls was filled with lights and not just with light but lights, candles and oil lamps that sort of thing uh, there was a young man named Eutychus and he was sitting in this big open window uh, it's probably hot that night and the boy may have been trying to catch a breeze uh, or maybe he was a lookout that's also possible because they're they could be in trouble meeting that way Paul kept on preaching and preaching and sometime after midnight Eutychus fell into a deep sleep and then he tumbled out of the window three stories high and hit the pavement below and he killed himself if he hadn't died, it would have been funny, you know, but that, that, uh, that makes it not a very funny thing. St. Luke's memory is vivid on this. The boy was taken up from the pavement. He was dead, and St. Paul ran downstairs, bent over him, and held the boy, and then he told everyone not to worry because his life had returned to him. Now, what these four narratives have in common is that they are accounts of resuscitations from the dead. What do I mean by resuscitation? Uh, that's another point that I want you to take away today. I mean to distinguish resuscitations from resurrection. All right? You with me? Resuscitation is not resurrection. Uh, Lazarus is probably the most famous case of resuscitation from the dead. In fact, Mary told Jesus not to go to the grave because Lazarus had been there for four days and he would stink because death stinks. Uh, dead people have to be buried quickly in this, in this, uh, in this uh, climate. Uh, Tabitha was washed up and no doubt already wrapped up in a shroud with spices thrown in for her burial before Peter came in and called her back to life. It probably looks something like a mummy with these strips of linen woven and then these spices that are thrown in. Uh, 
But here, here's the point. Every one of these persons eventually died again because they were not resurrected. They were resuscitated. When we are resurrected from the dead, like Jesus was resurrected from the dead, we will never die again. And the resurrection, uh, now and let me make this point. We are still who we are. We are still human beings. Uh, uh, but we put on incorruption and immortality uh, when we are res everlasting life. But it's important to understand that resurrection, uh, that the resurrection of the dead does not involve an annihilation of your nature. It doesn't involve an annihilation of your human nature. You remain, we remain as human uh, beings. Uh, 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 grace does not destroy nature. You've heard us say that a lot uh, from the pulpit. Grace uh, doesn't destroy nature, grace fulfills nature. Grace completes nature, never destroys nature. Grace does not suspend the laws of nature. Grace, in fact, opens up our true nature. So by his resurrection, our Lord Jesus Christ uh, did not negate our nature or his human nature, uh, but he rather fulfilled nature's destiny. Our nature burst into blossom with the resurrection of our Lord. But resuscitation is not resurrection. Resuscitation is not a bursting into blossom. It is an act by which Jesus uh, brings a person back to life and thus declares his authority over death and provides proof of the kingdom. That's what that's about. Those actions demonstrate facts. And same thing with the apostles. And that's exactly what he wanted uh, to make clear to John the Baptist that the kingdom wasn't coming, the kingdom has come. That's his point. So that's my introduction. Right. So now I'm going to preach the sermon. Don't worry, I'm only kidding around with you. It's not, it is actually, it's the introduction. So let's get to the text. Jesus and his disciples came upon this little village which probably had a population of about 100 or 150 souls. It was also about six miles from Nazareth. As Jesus and his disciples approached the village near the gate, a funeral procession got his attention. Now, funeral processions were frequently going on. Uh, and, and this is how exactly what one would see. You would know what was happening there. Fun funerals uh, would process out of the city gate to bury the person outside the city walls uh, where uh, the family cemeteries were located. Uh, funerals were usually at the end of the day and as much as possible on the day of the death of the person. Luke makes uh, a point of telling us that, uh, that this death involved an only begotten son. An only begotten son, that's the language that Luke uses here. Uh, the mother was a widow who was now childish, childless. Uh, she had no family left. She had become an orphaned parent herself. This passage bristles with emotion. Uh, many people in the town shared, knew this widow, knew this young man, and shared her grief as they gathered around her in mourning. Such mourning uh, by neighbors uh, was seen as an act of neighbor love to everyone. This is a sad scene, uh, heartbreaking, uh, that, G that greeted Jesus as he enters this small village. Now, the burial customs in Judaism 
in antiquity required that the person uh, not be prepared for uh, burial until the death is certain. And when the family, uh, when that was clear, the family then tore their clothes as an outward and visible sign of mourning and, and physically would shut the eyes uh, of the corpse to show that they were dead. Uh, next, uh, it was important to quickly wash and anoint the body for burial. Uh, they were generally not kept in the house overnight. The corpse, is, as I've already alluded to, the corpse was then wrapped in linen Spices were thrown into those wrappings. Uh, he, uh, he or she was anointed uh, and then placed on a wooden plank that is called here a bier. That's a wooden plank. Uh, there were no coffins uh, there, just this wooden plank. So you can, ha you can see this in your mind's eye, uh, sort of like a mummy uh, uh, in this clean white linen uh, strips wrapped up and on this uh, beer, as friends uh, bore it out of, the, uh, out of the town. You can see the corpse uh, and the plank heading for the cemetery. Jesus, moved by compa uh, compassion, first approaches the widow. This is odd. I mean, imagine putting yourself in this widow's position. He first approaches the widow, uh, and he says, stop crying. That's what he says. Stop crying. Then he approached the men carrying the dead boy, and he touched the plank. As soon as he touched the plank, they stopped. Uh, the procession ended, not because of a miracle, more likely because of a shock, because touching the beer defiled the person according to law. Now, that person would have to stay out of the community, certainly out of synagogue worship for a week. Uh, before they could enter back into that. So Luke tells us that our Lord's actions here were motivated by his compassion. Now this is something I want you to reflect on and keep this. Uh, this motive, this motive of compassion is attributed to Jesus in all four Gospels. Uh, this is a takeaway. that Part of the collected memory of Luke's eyewitnesses and of all of the other Gospels uh, and, 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 and narratives uh, was that on more than one occasion uh, they witnessed the word of God made flesh so moved by his, his very own human compassion for other people that he stopped everything that he was doing to make the wrong thing right. And I submit to you that Jesus still does that today. He has continued to do that through Holy Mother Church. God does not wait for those who have lost their way to find their way back to him. God goes out to them. And, and Jesus in, 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 uh, in, requires us to go out to others. Now, here's something else I want you to keep uh, to consider, and that is that absent from this account, Interestingly, not present are the ever-present and ever-critical Pharisee. Not here. But uh, for the original audience of this text, his touching the beer uh, would probably bring enough uh, uh, back to, con uh, to contrast 
between Jesus' love for the people and the self-righteousness of those who have nothing to offer but the law. The righteousness of God is not attained in, in, in the pursuit of righteousness. Holiness is not attained in the pursuit of holiness, but rather we follow Jesus and his love for others. And in that following, after him, the righteousness of God, the holiness of God overtakes us. Now, we don't know whether the people carrying the plank responded uh, by speaking back uh, or how they responded, uh, but we do know that they stopped in their tracks uh, when he started talking to the dead person, they probably thought that he, something was wrong with him. Uh, I mean, you don't, people don't do that, uh, generally speaking. And, uh, and especially, why would a stranger that knows no one here, uh, who knows no one in the family, interrupts as a sad and necessary ritual at its most grievous moment? The very idea of speaking to a dead person uh, in some other context may even be humorous, but in this context, it's just very odd. But the unthinkable was about to happen. The way of all flesh had crossed paths with the word of God made flesh. And he, Jesus, said, Young man, I say unto thee, Arise, and he that was dead sat up and began to speak, and he delivered him to his mother. This is, uh, this is the last sacrament. In fact, this is last, last paragraph. Okay. This account of Jesus raising the widow's son uh, from the dead, first of all, demonstrates his compassion and his willingness to reach out and meet our most profound needs. It is Jesus taking the initiative in this count. It wasn't the dead man's faith, right? The man was dead. It was Jesus taking the initiative in this. He comforts the widow. He restores her boy to health and life. This count also displays the power of Jesus to reach to the very limits of our personal existence. I mean, look at the way the people responded to it. God has visited us. Whether they knew it or not, that's a pro much more profound statement than most of them actually realize at that moment. That indeed, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, in his, in his own two feet, was standing before them. He can and does overpower death. Jesus offers humanity here to these people and to everyone else and to us today more than a sign or a signal that the kingdom is coming. He makes it clear that the kingdom has come. The kingdom of God has come. A new and happy state of being has come upon all of creation through Jesus, and he has put an end to death. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said unto her, Weep not. And he came and touched the bier, and they that bare him stood still. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.